Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott, alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Sean, uh, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How about you? Pretty good. Pretty good over here. Uh, it's starting to warm up. Yeah. Uh, snow's melting. Uh, I'm feeling uh, very treacherous going to my car at the <laughs> back. Uh, it's very, very icy. But you know what? Uh, spring's on the way. And it is no surer sign of spring being here than the briar coming to a close. The Canadian champions have been decided. That's what we're here to talk about. <laughs> Indeed we are. The Tim Hortons briar wrapped up on Sunday night out in Lethbridge. Brad Gushu captures his fourth Canadian curling championship in the past six years. I believe a very uh, dominant mm-hmm. run here for Brad Gushu. He tops, of course, Kevin Cooey in the final. Uh, and just a quick note as we start here, if you're looking at the title, it's not just going to be Briar. If you're interested in Paralympics or Women's World, just check the show notes. I'll give timestamps for that. But we're going to go through all those in this episode. But starting with the Tim Hortons Briar and that final, Scott, uh, goes to an extra end, a bit of a high scoring affair. In that game, 8-8, I watched. So I was away for the Briar. I saw none of it live. I did, uh, upon my return, see some of what was happening in replays. And so I've watched the final, or most of the final, I should say. I skipped through the blank ends. But I did watch uh, the the key points of that game. And I got to say, for... The overall game, it's its a higher scoring game than certainly what we saw in previous years and certainly at the trials in the final of that game. And I thought it was really curious. We've seen Kevin Cooey do this before. He's down a point with the hammer in the ninth end. Essentially, it seems to me, just concedes that point in the ninth end to go down two. And throughout that 10th end, it was, it was hit and miss as to whether or not he would be able to pull off and win that game. Of course, I was watching it knowing that he did not win the game. But Scott, in real time, did you have a a sense that they might actually do this as we've seen them do it before? Yeah, that 10th end, like you say, I I was, when when he made his hit for one, I kind of thought, or to give up one, rather, his draw to, to give up one, I thought, that's really strange. Like, it's very hard to score three points. And maybe not as hard to, to to steal one. And the the theory is then, well, we'll try to get three. If we only get two, then we're still tied. And I was, I'm kind of like, well, why don't you just get it over with and do the tie part now? Because I guess it gives you two chances. So, uh, yeah, but uh, they were putting the rocks in really, really precise spots, yeah. really looking good. And then Gushu just made like two pretty excellent excellent shots uh to to hold them to the two uh so i i did think uh going into that 10th end i was like well they have no chance like boy i'm gonna be up uh up in bed (laughs) and then uh oh extra end so uh no it was a a really really good game i i enjoyed watching the whole thing live 
And it just like little misses from BJ Newfeld mostly uh, that cost Cooey the game. And something that we talked about around the table on Monday night, Sean, at our game was that, that Cooey just never seemed to make the adjustment for BJ, mm. right? Like it's one thing to have the player try to adjust, but if the skip is noticing something consistently happening, you can, you can give him like an extra broom or two. Right. And, and try to make up for it that way, but they didn't make that adjustment. And uh, yeah, the, the Gushu, the story is incredible. The way they played is incredible. Just like everything I could talk about anything, but what's like the most uh, impressive part of Gushu's performance to you? That they did it like there's so much to it that we said in the preview and I believe I said specifically all they have to do is show up and shake hands and kiss babies and their obligation would be filled. And then I looked up on Wednesday, I believe the first time I had access to internet or with enough time to check on the scores was Wednesday and I hadn't lost yet. I thought that's kind yeah. of that, that's I'm sorry is. Whoever running the Curling Canada website just doing this out of habit and not actually paying attention to the games because there's no way yeah. they're undefeated at this yeah. point. And then, okay, fine, it, it happens. Then I had, had access again to internet on Friday night, and oh, Mar- Mark Nichols is out. Okay, well, uh, okay, good for them. They had a nice run. <laughs> yeah. You know, good. They, they didn't lose during the week, and uh, they made the playoffs. Great job by them. But a tough break on Mark Nichols going out. And then I'm, I'm at the airport on Sunday. Like, wait, wait, what? They're in the They're... final. <laughs> what is happening right now? And then I land and, uh, oh, my God, like they're winning. What? What is what is happening here? Like, it was just so bizarre to follow along at a distance because none of it really made any logical sense that they were able to continue to win given the obstacles that were already in their way and then have Mark Nichols just hang out for the playoffs, eating donuts and tweeting and (laughs) he's, they're able to pull it off. It was, that might be the most, and I tweeted this from afar that when I saw the score, I think I tweeted something like if, if that score holds and they win, it's pretty high at the top of the all time impressive Briar win rankings. And it might be up there with the Mark Dacey win in terms of unexpected wins mm-hmm. of somebody. And it's weird to say of Brad Gushu, like you don't expect him to win. But again, given all the circumstance and then throwing Mark Nichols on top of that, yeah, it's it's pretty high up there in, in terms of impressive victories and unexpected victories for me. Yeah. And what what's what was like to me the most impressive was how they put that together through the week. They had a one-point win over Jacobs, a one-point win over Gunlickson. The rest of their wins were by uh, three or more, I I think. I guess uh, BC, uh, late the last game, they beat them by one. But they, they had one loss to Botcher and then came back in that 3-4 game. And made Brad made a pretty great shot to beat uh, Colton Flash, who we'll talk about in a bit. They had a great week. But then the game against Botcher Sunday morning or afternoon, I guess, they they like totally dominated that game. And 
I thought they were in the driver's seat most of the way against Kui as well. Uh, I tweeted something about like they scored four threes on their last five hammers. Uh, yeah. Uh, up to that point, I tweeted like they were just in the zone. Like I, I said, oh, I wonder why Kui did that. Uh, uh, try to score three. Well, I guess, you know, Brad Gushi made it look easy <laughs> that the whole rest of that day. Like, oh, three. Yeah, that's easy. So super, super impressive. Uh, what was most impressive maybe to me was Jeff Walker uh, stepping in and calling line. I, yeah. I know the skip can call line from shooting, but just the way, like the perfect roles that they were able to get, uh, it was it was just really incredible for somebody that hasn't done that at a high level game in like what was it ten years or something. Yeah, so something like just uh, plus you add in yeah the Olympic experience they were there. I, I do believe they got a good boost seeing their families in. Uh, Lethbridge there they were able to come out and get there and you know just have like a breath I guess mm-hmm. uh that that seemed to really boost their spirits but uh not enough words to say how impressive that was no although and, I just and, used a bunch yeah, so. <laughs> yeah they're, they're playing essentially with house money there to there, there's no pressure on them and I don't think they had any pressure on themselves either going into it mm-hmm. that brad was very open about yeah we probably won't win we probably won't have a chance to win and then they go and they do it and i watched the post game after the final where brett gallant was asked about this being it for this team and he got emotional saying that when mark was uh, tested positive for covid about how he thought that like that would have been the worst way to end eight years together with Mark in a hotel room and then losing in the playoffs. And mm. now that's not the case uh, unless something awful happens in Vegas and one of them tests positive in Vegas. But that opportunity for them to finish off this run of the four of them together at Vegas at a world championship is pretty cool. And yeah. something that uh, certainly based off of the emotion that, that Brett had in that moment, and you see it a little bit with with Brad as well, that that'll be meaningful to them. It'll be a lot of fun. And then I'm sure they'll they'll have a good time out in Vegas. And uh, you know, congratulations to them. And I, I think at some point, maybe in the summer, Scott, we'll try to put together some list of the most impressive or unexpected Briar victories any uh, of all time, and we'll see where this mm. one stacks up when we have a little more time to reflect on it and not be just kind of dumbfounded by how this happened the way we are right now. Yeah, for sure. That right now, that's just front of mind and it's so incredible. But right, uh, maybe maybe a sober second thought will will bump it down. But I don't expect it to go that far down. Yes. So uh, fourth victory, as I said, for Brad Gushu crazy after all those years of not being able to get one. No, he, just, he can't mm-hmm. seem to lose. And yet another <laughs> final as well featuring Kevin Cooey. And I don't believe we've had a final that has not included Kevin Cooey, Brendan Botcher, or Brad Gushu this quad. Yeah, I don't think since 2017, right? Yeah, so I, I'm pretty sure Ryan tweeted said at Rocks Across the Pond that in this quad plus this year, only 15 individuals have played in Briar finals, which yeah, is that's, 
Boncos. Yeah, we talk about the men's field in in Canada maybe being a bit deeper than the women's field right now. <laughs> maybe not. And uh, <laughs> maybe maybe we're wrong, right? Uh, we, yeah. I guess we could just be wrong. But uh, looking at at the whole rest of the field, um, picking out some of the stories I mentioned, Colton Flash and his Saskatchewan team there. Yep. Uh, they had a, a really really great week. Uh, they lost a tough one in their last. Uh, the the last round robin to Dunstone to force that tiebreaker. I thought they and... beat Dunstone to force the tiebreaker. Oh, hold on. They yes, beat they Dunstone. Yeah, they had to bring Dunstone down to two losses. Yeah, and they did that, and then forced the tiebreaker. Beat him again. Then on what Friday morning? Friday morning. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah, it was really strange because it it just looked like me. The, the, I, I assumed that they had won or that they had lost that game on Thursday because Dunstone played really well right. uh, from what I remember. And it was just sort of a tough at the end. Oh, they, they made a shot. And Colton wasn't that good that game. And I don't know about you, Sean. When I watch Colton Flash play, like he always looks like he's upset <laughs> about something. Uh, yeah. Even when he makes a shot, he's kind of like right. a little... Like, oh, that could have rolled a quarter inch more or whatever. But uh, no, they pulled it out in the last end, brought them back, then were uh, able to beat them again in that uh, tiebreaker game where it just looked like uh, Team Dunstone didn't didn't have it that day, that morning. Uh, Kirk Myers didn't have a great game. Um, and, and it just, Maddie missed a couple. It, it wasn't falling into place for them which is too bad because I think they also had a pretty good week and were set up in a pretty good spot uh, to get through that until until that famous tiebreaker. Well, they were undefeated until they showed up yeah. for against Brendan Botcher. So they go out yeah. and they win their first six games and then they do not win one after that, losing to Brendan Botcher and then the two games to Flash to be eliminated. Kind of tough to be eliminated uh, after 6-0 record but if you look at that first game against flash they get down five nothing in that game and maybe that's why flash was a little frustrated later yeah. in the game he had a yeah it was lead yeah and he gives it back the the fight that they had uh, to come back in that game it it's you're right they did get down five nothing so i guess my characterization characterization of them having a good game was is maybe not right but that a great second way, half <laughs> that's it like that's what i remember right they scored yeah. a three forced got a two like it was it was textbook like how to win right uh but they just ran out of ends but that said like dunstone played they, he played well uh it was just yeah. the other side of the inch on those uh first five ends so yeah a, a tough week for them sean you picked them to win um i did sorry uh looking <laughs> <laughs> Looking at uh, like all of Pool A, if we if we look back at Pool A, uh, Brendan Botcher's team goes seven and one in the round robin. Kevin Cooey also seven and one, and I believe the game that Botcher lost was to Cooey. Yes, that's right, and uh, Cooey lost to Dunstone. So uh, both those teams obviously quite strong. Uh, I don't think we have much more to say. I, I guess Patrick Jansen stepping in at third. Uh, we talked about him being a nice player in our preview mm -hmm. 
And the more I thought about it throughout the week, Sean, uh, I guess we would have said the same about Darren Molding four years ago, right? Yeah, I nice, think that's nice player. true. Nice player. A uh, bit of a pedigree. He's been around a while. Good guy. And yeah, that's, I think, fair that we would have put him into that category. And obviously the run was a lot better than that. Um, you know, Patrick Danson shooting percentage wise didn't exactly light up the field. He's in the lower half, I believe, of the third position over the course of the week. Uh, now that I guess is thrown off if you count Pat Simmons throwing hundred percent on two shots in the game, but uh, he was plus two at 81%. So not, I mean, not bad. Like it's, it's good, but I think if you're Brendan Botcher and it's tough, it's one week and yeah, may, maybe Patrick Jansen is going to be the permanent position, the permanent replacement for Darren Molding there. I, I don't know, but he is, he is capable of it, but you do wonder now that we have seen the official announcement of other teams breaking up, whether or not there's going to be some movement within that foursome or if Brendan wants to keep that consistency because Patrick's mm-hmm. been around for a long time. It's obviously comfortable with him being around. And if that could be the team moving forward, I don't know. But certainly Patrick Jansen from the number side of it did nothing this week to disqualify himself from being a member of a high-level team that has a legitimate chance to win. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, the rest of the pool, or to round it out, Sean, a uh, tough week for Team Ontario. They got off to uh, a rough start. I think they were 0-3 uh, before, they, before they won a game. Uh, New Brunswick, we'll talk about that Botcher-Gratton game Saturday mm-hmm. night. That was fun. Were you able to see any of that? No, eh? Uh, just some clips. I haven't watched it through yet. I'm, I'm saving that. <laughs> um, <laughs> The crowd was hot, Sean. We we talked in our preview. Uh, it'd be fun to have a hot crowd there yeah. on Saturday night. Uh, the crowd was hot, and they were very pro New Brunswick. Uh, it there was some chance of a botcher, <laughs> botch like when he was going to throw a shot. Wow! So, uh, yeah, there was definitely a crowd favorite in that one. It was also weird because I think Kevin Cooey was playing at the same time. And yet most of the Alberta fans were there cheering for, uh, for New Brunswick. Um, That's it. I mean, that's the feature. I mean, that it it makes total sense. Like it's early in the week. Kevin Cooey is going to be fine. Like he's (laughs) doesn't really matter what happens in that game Saturday night. Uh, If he's playing, what's usually playing? He's playing, uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, like okay, like with with all respect to yeah. Team Young, I mean, come on, like the 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 curling world's attention, at least the Canadian curling world's attention, is going to be on that game because the, it's the defending champion kicking off his third uh, before the Briar. I mean, of course, that's going to be the where the attention is. I'm glad it was a hot crowd. I was a respectfully hot crowd. I, I don't mind. The chanting before a shot, but nothing during a shot. And when Team Canada makes a shot, hopefully they were respectful of all that. Right? You cheer for the team you want to win, as opposed to necessarily anything like hurtful against the team who they are opposing. Right? That that's what you hope. Yeah. Yeah, and and so I I think we got uh, what we wanted from that matchup for sure. Good. 
Uh, just rounding out the rest of the pool, uh, PEI, Newfoundland, and Yukon, they all beat each other. Uh, so there that's fun. And I believe those were the only games they didn't concede. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, yeah. So a bit of a, a tough spell for those teams at the bottom half. A cool story. I did see uh, Nicholas Codner did get in to a game. And as far as people know, nobody has, I think, found any evidence to the contrary, but youngest player to ever participate in a Briar game there for Team Newfoundland and Labrador. So uh, the very cool moment there over in pool b mentioned brad gushu did not lose a game going through the round robin brad jacobs finished the second in the pool at six and two then we have a tiebreaker scenario between jason gunlickson and mike McEwen finishing the two of them at five and three so we have a tiebreaker game and it's uh really mike fournier the last game probably mm-hmm. maybe that he plays out of briar he takes out mike McEwen from a guaranteed playoff spot beats him nine to six which pushes mike McEwen into that tiebreaker because jason gunlickson was in the clubhouse at five yeah. and three he had the buy in the last draw and he could sit back and watch mike fournier go out in a blaze of glory <laughs> taking out mike McEwen. they got a big four banger four bagger in that uh ninth end uh, I had gone to bed, Sean. Uh, I remember <laughs> I thought, well, this is this game is looking close, but I'm pretty tired. And, you know, probably Manitoba will win. I think it was, yeah, like uh, McEwen was up one after the eighth. And I was like, eh, yeah, they'll be fine. And sure enough, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, what? There's a tiebreaker? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, good for... Uh, Good for Fournier. Good for Team Quebec uh, to go out with that blaze of glory, like you mentioned. Uh, real tough for McEwen. They they started pretty well, right? They they were three and one, uh, but lost twice to Gunner uh, this yeah. week. Uh, when you're familiar with a team, you know sometimes it's it's tough to beat them. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I I had picked Brad Jacobs to win. I was very surprised. Uh, by how they did in that uh, afternoon, that sort of go home game, winner yeah. go home game against uh, Colton Flash. I actually went out uh, to <laughs> to get a beer because it was Friday, and I I thought I haven't been out to get a beer in four months, so let's go do it. But uh, yeah, just really uncharacteristic for them to to give up the steals they gave up and to give up that four ender. Uh, as well just uh, a a tough game for them yeah they just uh, didn't quite have it uh, in that matchup so they are eliminated Uh, just elsewhere in the pool uh, Brent Pierce goes four and four he had a chance to make the playoffs or get into that tiebreaker scenario in his last game against Brad Gushu loses eight to seven so goes into the 10th and tied and Gushu gets the single. Uh, so a good showing for Brent Pierce and his team out of British Columbia. And then similar to the other pool, I guess not quite as similar, but uh, Nova Scotia, Paul Fleming, they struggled to three and five Northwest territories in Jamie Cooey and Peter Mackey of Nunavut. They were both 0 and seven going to the final game. And Scott, when I saw that from a distance, I thought of our friend Gavin Jameson and I just hoped that that game went into an extra end. That's all I could think of uh, when I saw that they were playing each other. It did not. Jamie Cooey gets the win 
and Peter Mackey and Nudaboot remain winless at the Briar. Yeah, t- too bad for uh, Nunavut. And uh, touching quickly on Nova Scotia, they started 3-0, and Sean. Uh, they were a feature game, I believe, once on TSN, and they we switched over to them uh, another time. And their goal for the week, their stated goal, was five wins. Okay. And they just uh, just didn't, didn't quite have it. They had the soft early schedule. Uh, the third win they got was against Gunlickson. But then all the rest, uh, yeah, it was a little bit uh, bit rough. And especially the game against Mike Fournier, they gave up a five in the second end and then a steal of four. And it was like, oof, this is going to be a long one. It was yeah. one. I, I think that one might have been a feature. Anyway. Oh, no. You don't. Yeah, that's like a, the, that's not good. Feature. Yeah, that's not what you like to see. Not ideal. Not no, ideal, so. suboptimal, uh, suboptimal for sure. Uh, and yeah, some of the scores did get out of hand here and there. Certainly the McEwen-Peter Mackey game did get a lot of attention, 18-1, to 1, uh, make mm-hmm. the final there. So unfortunate that you see those scores, but that's just what's going to happen uh, sometimes. And uh, there were a lot of games at the trials that were blowouts too, so let's not totally overreact to that. So, well, uh, Sean, Sean, that's going to happen when you make them play eight ends. Yeah, it is. It, it certainly is, but I, I'm not upset by it. I, I know it's not great, but I, I don't think, and, and this well, I'm sure this will come up over the course of the summer, but some of the discourse that you saw or that I saw, and Ted Wyman had an article, a really good article about this, mm-hmm. that the players don't like that this format is here and that the representation is what it is. And I look at it and I say, yeah, okay, like, there's there's blowouts here, but there were blowouts at the trials when the teams are more equal. So the idea of eliminating blowout don't don't change the format to eliminate blowouts because you're going to still have them. So yeah. it's not going to be eighteen to one probably certainly, but I, I don't know. Like the the response to the blowouts when they happen to Peter Mackey seem really larger in significance than when they happen at the trials or when they happen at a grand slam and a team loses nine to two, mm-hmm. like, it, it seemed people seem to be like, Oh, well that happens bad day. But when it happens at a briar, it's like, well, get them out. We hate them. Like, it's not, that's not, come on. Right. Yeah. There's going to be uh, lots more discussion about, about that. And we'll get into that then. But uh, for yeah. now, uh, no, we don't need to, don't need no. to go there. No. So, Scott, what about the broadcast? Uh, I saw online Cheryl Bernard was not there. Kathy Gauthier filled in here and there. Mudrick was there. Was he, I don't know if he was there the whole week. And I, I don't know. What was the broadcast like? What, what was the coverage like? I, a lot of attention. And the girls uh, with uh, Matt Hall, or I guess Matt Hall for the girls or on the girls show, did a Vic essay because there was no Vic essay at the end of the broadcast, which upset some people, but overall, what, what was going on over the course of the week? For me, it was a bit disjointed and a bit jarring to hear Brian Mudrick's voice in the evening. So for (laughs) that first weekend, uh, Vic wasn't there. I think he got there Sunday and, uh, was doing the Sunday night, but Mudrick was there before then. And then Mudrick was there like for the morning draw Monday, Tuesday, maybe, and then left, and then it was Vic and Russ alone, seemed the rest of the time. And even 
yeah, I, th- I think Kathy must must have left or gone mm. somewhere because she wasn't even giving updates by the end of the week. So, wow. uh, yeah, it was a little disjointed, disc- maybe disconcerting to not have like, oh, what? think where is these? Where are these people? What's going on? Uh, I I looked for it on on Twitter, try to find why and stuff because I I don't always get there, you know, uh, to see their stand up at the first five minutes of of the game right i usually i usually tune in and they're just throwing the lead rocks of uh, of the game so you know i've timed this pretty well i know what i'm doing <laughs> uh maximizing my uh, <laughs> my my time so yeah a little disjointed that way and sean i'm not somebody that usually watches the vic essay at the end i know you love it i like it but i can watch it after mm-hmm. and like i mentioned it i was already 15 minutes later to Go to sleep than I had right. uh, anticipated. So I was okay. I get it. They won. Now time to go up, and go to bed. Well, I like the Vic essay because it's to me it's very over the top. It's very hyperbolic. Uh, yeah, I, I really I, I'm waiting for the day where he tells me that the players can walk on water and uh, you know turn water into wine and that kind of stuff. Like it just it's so over the top to me uh, that I I love it. Right. I, I saw somebody mm-hmm. online today refer to it as gentle kitsch and i thought okay like yeah that's yeah i might go a little further but yeah it's a little kitschy uh it's intended to draw out an emotional response for you and it's essentially kind of the same thing every time about uh the country's best gathered this team came on top but what's great about the sport are the people and the people make it and the people are the greatest they're they really are the best people you ever meet and We'll do it again next year and we can't wait. Like it's, it's kind of like there's a, a, the only thing that really changes are the specific words and the mm-hmm. photos. Like there's not, a formula. Yeah. Yeah. There's just a formula to it. So I like watching it for that reason. I know people genuinely like, it. I don't want to dismiss or, or anything or minimize that if you, if you love them and, and you do find them touching, it's great. That, that's what they're there for that's what they're intended to do uh that's that's perfect it, i don't get that reaction from them uh with the exception of the one of the mexican fan in las vegas that's the one yeah. i thought was like okay that especially because she was there watching it and in the arena they put it on the screen and everyone kind of because he says at the start here's where she's sitting and everyone kind of <laughs> turns and looks at her uh so that that one was the one that just kind of got to me uh and i like it when they do it in game which they've really gotten away from the past couple of years but they used to do like mini yeah. essays over the course i know when nunavut the scotties won their first game they did one like the next day of what that meant and so i like those ones a little more than the ones at the end of the week yeah they they do still have like the the skip sort of interviews where they ask them a question yeah. You know, like, oh, what did you do during the pandemic? Uh, one of them was about what does playing in the Briar mean? And right. uh, the the skip from Nunavut Young, Nathan Young. That's Newfoundland. Uh, Newfoundland. Yeah. The other end one. There's <laughs> there's lots of ends. There really um, uh, He said, I'm not going to do the accent because that's uh, not right. But he said, it's a lifelong dream to be in the Briar. And one time Vic was like, really? Lifelong dream? How old are you? <laughs> yeah. Like, what? You're 17, 18, whatever. 
So, uh, yeah, Vic, Vic was 40 years into his career when, <laughs> when this you were kid was born. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, I mean, but it was really, it was pretty cool. And, and them talking about, you know, Oh, what it's like to be there. Glenn Howard, you know, juxtaposed with Nathan Young, uh, it was pretty neat. Uh, they also had a good video supporting team Anderson, having them okay. go, uh, all, all the skips basically, uh, saying you've earned this great, uh, honor, go and have fun. And a lot of them saying they're happy that they get to do it in front of a crowd. Finally, uh, <laughs> you know, after two years, one canceled one in the bubble. Now you finally get to go in front of play in front of a crowd. So that was nice too. Yeah. I guess, uh, Shannon Burchard is one for Scotty's never been a regular member of a team in front of fans at a world championship. Yeah. Pretty kind incredible. Weird thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's good. And, and it's good that they were able to pull it off. Uh, certainly difficult circumstances, obviously for the crew out there, obviously there was uh, some COVID being transmitted at some level uh, yeah. within the event, given the situation with Mark Nichols. So hopefully everyone is doing well out there and uh, the crew is getting set for the women's world, which is of course coming up very, very quickly. So it's got anything else from the 2022 Briar. No, I think it was a good show overall. Uh, it was it was cool watching curling with fans in the crowd. I don't yeah. think I would have been comfortable being there. Um, uh, just that's my personal comfort level. But it was cool to have have people in the stands watching curling, cheering shots. Uh, it was good, and good fans too. Like uh, yeah. in that final couple shots that looked good, but weren't right. Like. That, that maybe novice fans or people maybe new to the sport would see uh, a hit that I think BJ Newfeld threw one in, in the 10th end that on the surface, like, Oh, that's good. But it really wasn't. And yeah. you could tell from the crowd that they knew that uh, that wasn't good. So yeah. it was kind of fun to see the, the very knowledgeable crowd out there in Lethbridge, which is certainly what you expect at a Alberta event uh, a knowledgeable crowd so it was good to see that uh, so yeah there you have it congratulations again to brad gushu they are scheduled to go to the world championships in las vegas in a couple of weeks to represent canada brett gallant is also scheduled to go and play in the mixed doubles world championship uh, who knows if this affects that in any way if he says hey you know that i've heard about this sleep thing Maybe I want to try that at some point, uh, but uh, presumably he and Jocelyn Peterman will will do that, and uh, then Brett Gallant will have certainly des- uh, earned a well-deserved break uh, from curling for a while, and uh, I'll be curious to see if Team Gushu, I'm sure they'll play in the last two slams, I would think, but maybe some lineup changes just to get off your feet for a while. Who knows? But again, since it's their last events, uh, we'll, we'll have to see how that one plays mm-hmm. out but uh yeah so congratulations to them they get another shot at a world championship i did notice oscar erickson after the game tweeted something like hey i remember the last time you were at a world championship in vegas let's do that again uh <laughs> so uh so a little chirping has already started for that event uh, all right let's move on to the paralympics which have wrapped up over in beijing the 2022 olympic paralympic cycle has now concluded everybody i believe has made it home safely 
Uh, I saw yesterday some of the Americans had uh, the, the last, I think, trickle of the American team had made it home. A very exciting event. You know, we're fans of the wheelchair currently in discipline because it's so different uh, strategically and from the viewing experience from what you see in the four person in the mixed doubles. It, it really is a standalone discipline. And Scott, when we talked about it in our preview, I had Sweden as a team to watch out for. I think you said that China was a prohibitive favorite as the two-time defending world champion. And that was your gold medal game, China against Sweden. That's right. Uh, They were the best two teams all week. Uh, Team Canada had a very good week as well. They actually beat China in the round robin early on in the week. Uh, But Sweden and China, they they just were the class of the field. at the end of the day, like they were the two best teams. It wasn't even particularly close. Uh, Canada was able to hang. They lost a couple games later on in the week that you might question, but that's, that's the discipline of wheelchair curling. Like things change really fast. Um, I know Ryan from rocks across the pond was tweeting up, uh, tweeting the, the USA games when he could. And yeah, like they looked like they were in a good spot one time, and then, oh, oops, they gave up four. Like, it, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it they, the games can turn really quickly. Uh, so yeah, Sweden, China, the class of the field. Uh, China comes out on top in that gold medal game. Uh, uh, congratulations to China for winning on home home soil, mm-hmm. I suppose. Uh, but I n- nothing was really like unexpected. Um, from that standpoint, Slovakia being the fourth team that makes the playoffs, uh, maybe a little, maybe a little surprising. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would say so. I, I don't think anyone had Slovakia in there going into the week. We were looking, we were talking about what could the Americans do to get there. We talked about the the British team. Maybe they can get there. Uh, the, the Koreans had a really good week in terms of the scoring differential. I don't think we really mm. pegged Slovakia as a legitimate threat to make it into the playoffs a great week for them but what i really noticed in going through the numbers for this event is you didn't see the big swings of hammer efficiency force efficiency that we saw at the world championship certainly there's a lot of variation over the the course of the the teams that are in the field but if you looked at those numbers from the world championship sweden and or china one one of the two of them was 80 percent on their uh, last stone, their hammer efficiency. Mm-hmm. And the high this week was under 50%. And when we're looking at the force efficiency, certainly Latvia was not very good in that category at only 15%. But the the teams that were competitive and were in position to potentially make the playoffs, you're looking between 50 and 63%. So we didn't see those great variations in those numbers, which yeah. is a, a sign of teams maybe taking fewer chances over the course of the week. Uh, there are more blank ends in this event, which not that many, 16 in total, but that's more than you typically see at a world championship in the wheelchair curling discipline. So a, a little bit more defensive over the course of the week. Sweden, we talked about them as being a very high scoring team at world championships, they still did score a lot of points. They had 20 ends of multiple scores 
in 12 games, but that's down significantly from where they were at the world championship. And you see it really across the board that the scoring was just slightly down from the worlds. And that's something I think maybe we would have, would have expected uh, at the Olympics because we see it at the, the big events and, and certainly uh, played out here for the scoring side of it in terms of the shooting percentage of it all, Canada, China, Sweden, Slovakia, are the top four. And there's a gap between the top three of Canada, China, Sweden, and going down to Slovakia over the course of the week. So when you look into those numbers, the results kind of make sense. And and those three teams really were top of the field, top of the table in those peripheral areas. Like the British had a good week scoring-wise, and you, you see some other numbers here and there. But if you're looking at the totality of the statistical side of things, those three teams are certainly the worthy medalist for this event. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And Slovakia, it, it, it was surprising to me because they'd lost to Latvia and like lost to Norway who I actually picked to win the gold medal. So bad job by me, <laughs> but uh, yeah, then they come back and they beat Sweden and they beat Canada. Uh, those, those were kind of games that I, I wouldn't have expected them to win. Mm-hmm. So when I look up, you know, and, and see them on the, on the, standings right there you're like whoa what that's yeah. uh that's kelka shows yeah. so yeah uh but but fun event as always you know it's always uh fun to watch mm-hmm. and uh yeah I'll look forward to the next world championships yeah. and I, I would be interested to know and, and maybe devin Haru, who's over there asked this and, and i just haven't seen it yet but canada china in that semi-final i wonder how much mark idison and the team really just after 2018 we're like we can do that like we can in china like they're the home team we can just like rip their heart out it's like crush their like red as i mean you want to you want to win the gold medal anyway but i wonder if there's like anything additional after 2018 uh Mm. for them and uh, unfortunately they couldn't pull it off but they do rebound and get a bronze medal so from a canadian perspective the total of two medals across this cycle uh, it's not the greatest curling Canada performance of all time, but it's also not the most disastrous, I would argue, curling Canada performance of all time either. So not bad. Well, maybe it is the most disastrous. I don't know. We have to actually actually look that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, two bronze medals. But uh, congratulations to Mark Edison and the team. And uh, Ina Forrest just continues to uh, cement her place as the most decorated a wheelchair curler in Canadian history, certainly. And I, we'd have to explore more on the international scale, but uh, she's, uh, she, I mean, she's going to have a tough time getting through airport security with all those medals she's got. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and well-deserved uh, flag bearer as well yes. for the op- opening ceremonies, I believe. Yes. She, uh, it, 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 there's two of them. Uh, the other person was a non-curler. Uh, I can't remember who it yes. was, but yeah, certainly well-deserved for Ina Forrest to get there and uh, see if she wants to do another cycle uh, with the Canadian wheelchair team or if there's a, a bit of a change on that team because they've all been around for a while now. And uh, we'll see mm-hmm. that there could be a, some changes coming, but they're also very good. So if they want to keep playing and continue to push to represent Canada a little different, it's a selection process on the wheelchair side. And if they want to continue to be involved in that high performance program, I don't think anyone at Curling Canada is going to push them out the door. No, no, that's for sure.
Yes. So uh, congratulations uh, again to China, Sweden, and Canada for their medals at the 2022 Paralympic Games in China. That wraps up all the action from over there. And a new quad has officially started. Uh, But we still have some business, I guess, to kind of take care of for this quad. If you want to include the 2022 Women's World Championships as part of the past quad or the start of the new quad, I would consider it part of the last quad because how many of these teams are going to stay together? Uh, We'll see. And there's a lot of teams that are not here who might otherwise would be here. Actually, not that many, only a couple. So, Scott, let's uh, go through the field for the 2022 Women's World Championship, which kicks off on Friday? Over. Saturday. Saturday. Saturday, March the 19th in Prince George, British Columbia. They were, of course, denied the ability to host the World Championship in 2020, despite all the teams being there. It was uh, the rather infamous March 13th, 2020, when uh, things were canceled, uh, all the teams were there. Uh, But let's uh, talk about it, Scott. Two years later, they are back hosting the Women's World. Let's start with the host team of Canada. Carrie Anderson, third consecutive Scotties win. This will be her second appearance at the World Championship, of course, with Val Sweden, Shannon Burchard, and Brianne Mayer. Scott, let's just have a quick word association. What are your expectations for each of these teams? Let's start with Team Canada. What is your expectation? Uh, I think they'll be focused, and and it'll help uh, that, you know, last year in the bubble situation, it was sort of a long slog for Kerry and the team. Uh, this year, you know, the, it's been a while since the Scotties. They've gotten a break. Uh, and I think that they'll be in this, like, refreshed and more focused than they were last year. Okay. I'm going to go with relaxed. I think there's a lot of pressure last year uh, being in the bubble for as long as they were, plus the Olympic qualification side of it all. I think this week, just go, people there, have fun, really embrace it, you know, play up with the crowd, have a good time, see what happens. Hmm. Next up, it is Team Denmark. Madeline DuPont is back once again, and Scott hates Denmark and currently uh, <laughs> never thinks they're going to win a game, thinks they're going to go 0-4 every time. Uh, but Madeline DuPont continues to prove them wrong. Uh, Matilda Halls is there. And of course, sister Denise and my Larson wrap out the team. Scott, what is your expectation for team Denmark this year? Uh, not much. <laughs> <laughs> this is my expectation. Uh, they'll have fun, I guess. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's not very nice, but. <laughs> she seems like she has fun all the time. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe la- let's say last hurrah. Maybe. Could, but could it, that be the case? It could be. You said that in 2018, too. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm consistent. Yeah, you are consistent in your feeling that this team will never make it back or do anything like that. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, it's. They're fun. They're certainly capable of, of winning games, but probably not a playoff threat. Although, again, six teams making the playoffs, 13-team fields in a field that might be slightly easier than a typical year because a couple teams are not there from the Olympics. And maybe that leads to an opportunity for Denmark. I don't think so. I'm kind of with you that they're not really a, a serious playoff threat, but they might win more games than 
otherwise they otherwise would. Eh, okay. And they won two games at the Olympics. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> next up is Germany. Daniela Jensch is skipping this team. They are back. Had a good run last year at the World Championships. Had a great run at the 2021 European Championship. Scott, where do you think Germany stacks up in this field? Yeah, I think this is Dark Horse. Uh, this is a, a Dark Horse player can, playoff contender. Uh, in my mind, they took a big leap this year at Euros, as you mentioned. Uh, they also had a pretty good time at Euros like three, two, three years ago. It, it all gets confused. So they've been sort of like knocking at the at the door of playoffs for a while. May, uh, now I'm worried that maybe they did make the playoffs last last year. But uh, yeah, that's, that's what I think this team is, like uh, a fringe playoff contender. Yeah, I think that's fair. Of course, uh, bronze medalist at this year's Euros, as mentioned. So, uh, I, I agree. They, I think they should be in the playoffs in this field, in this particular field. I, I think right. that they are a playoff team. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The field is a bit uh, weaker than usual. Yeah. All right. Next up is Italy and gold medalist Stefania Constantini, of course, winning with Amos Masaner at the. Olympics in the mixed doubles. Uh, Marta Lo Deserto is the second. Angela Arome at second. And Veronica Zapone. They're throwing the lead stones for Stefania Constantini. She's been around a, a while, but she's still very, very young. Of course, everything in Italian curling, despite the gold medal that they just won, is pointing to 2026. And we would certainly expect Stefania to be the skip of that team on the women's side. So Scott, what do you think she's got up her sleeve for this week? Yeah, I think this is uh, experience for, for this team. Uh, they're well positioned for their 2026 host role. Uh, this is just like another get more games under your belt against uh, mostly top level competition. Yeah, I, I agree. Like this is a, another step in the process for Italian curling. Uh, playoffs would be great. I don't think it's necessary in terms of the the progression of the team, but I, I also don't think it's impossible that they could make a playoff run here. No, no, for sure. Not impossible. All right, next up is the Japanese side, and here's a team that is not going to be represented by the Olympic team. It, instead, it is going to be Ikuya Kirazawa coming in. Senya Nakajima is the third. Minori Suzuki and Hasumi Ishiguka is the lead stone, but holds the broom for Kirazawa throwing the skip position. Scott, not Satsuki Fujisawa and the silver medalist from the Olympic Games. So a new look for Japan here. But a very good team. We know that. So what is your expectation for them here this week? Um, I guess I don't really have any because uh, I'm, I don't follow Japanese curling maybe as closely as I should. So it, it, maybe it'll be, for me, uh, discovering a new team. Okay. Uh, but for their expectation, like I, you, I, no, I, I have no idea. What do you think? Well, so we've seen some of these players before uh, at, at an event like Sena Nakajima skipped at the 2019 
Asia Pacific Curling Championship. Uh, Ishiguka was the fourth thrower there. Like, so, so we have players who have been at international events representing Japan before. Uh, so it's not like they are completely devoid of international experience uh, as a team, but it's, you're right. We're not the experts on Japanese curling, but I would just say that to make it out of Japan on the women's side, you got to be good. Uh, even if uh, Fujisawa um, isn't necessarily part of that. So uh, there's enough depth there that uh, don't sleep on this team. Okay. All right. Next up is Korea. Unjung Kim is making a return to the world championship after going four and five at the Olympic games and missing the playoffs. Scott, good team. We've seen them had good runs before. We've also seen them struggle at some events. So what is your expectation? Hmm. I think uh, maybe some redemption for their uh, uh, Olympics performance here. It could be in order in this field. Uh, like you said, very strong team, very capable team. Uh, so I, I would expect them to be pushing the playoffs here. Yeah, I think that's probably fair for them to have that expectation again. It's a pretty open field, so you would expect them to to certainly be in contention towards the end of the week. Uh, the Norwegians, another team that might push for something, is represented. The Norwegians, represented by Kristen Skaslian, she is going to be throwing forth, but Marianne Roerverk is the skip of the team. Scott, this is a squad that we, we talk so much about Norwegian women's curling and uh, really it's Kristen Skaslian. And when can they make that step to be a regularly competitive team? We've seen them be relegated before and not have the greatest of weeks when they've gone to European championships. So what do we expect this week for Kristen Skaslian and the squad? Yeah, this uh, should be around the bottom of the field. When when we think of Norwegian curling, uh, honestly, on the women's side, it's it's basically irrelevant at the world level uh, since the days of Dordi Nordby, which we all remember fondly. And so, you know, this is uh, they they broke through and are have qualified for this, but uh, they they got to show something a bit more than we've seen for them to stay up at the uh, at the top tier event. Yeah. Another team that is going to be making a run to prove themselves at this level is Team Scotland. It is not Eve Muirhead and the gold medalists from the Olympics. Instead, it is Rebecca Morrison who is going to be making her debut at a world championship. Gina Aiken is the third, Sophie Sinclair, and Sophie Jackson are the front end of this team. Rebecca Morrison has had some good performances in the Scottish National Championships. Runner-up in 2020, for instance, uh, has, has won a couple game or a couple events here and there, including the Scottish Junior Championship back in 2018, and uh, also the Scottish Mixed that year. So, Scott. Not much to go on internationally for Rebecca Morrison and her team. So what do you expect from them? Uh, this this should be a good learning experience. And this is, Rebecca Morrison is like the, the future of women's curling in Scotland. She's been tabbed by the high performance program there as like the next skip. Uh, mm-hmm. She did, I think, went as a fifth 
to at least the Europeans, if not the Olympics as well, uh, with Eve Muirhead's team. So, you know, she's sort of, sort of being groomed for the next generation. So it, it should be great learning experience and uh, pretty fun for them to get over and get that uh, world championship under their belts. Well, a team that really wants a world championship under their belts, uh, but a world championship victory is Sweden. Anna Hasselberg still looking for that somewhat elusive world championship, of course, with Sarah McManus, Agnes, and Sophia in the front end positions. Scott, favorites? Question mark? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think uh, they've got to be be given the edge. Uh, based on the way that they've played and are playing. Yeah, I remember in 2018, I was thinking, well, they just won a gold medal going into a world championship. They'll probably be pretty chill or like the the opportunity for a bit of a a sort of down week of like, what's the motivation? You just won a gold medal. And uh, they played great that week. And so I'm not going to make that mistake again. And we'll expect them to be in a position to get that uh, world championship that uh, certainly it's all Anna Hasselberg needs to round out her career. Mm-hmm. We, saw, right. uh, we saw Dean get his gold medal. So yeah, the year of Swedish curling potentially could be. Yeah. All right. Next up is Switzerland and it is of course, Alina Pat, Sylvana Tiranzoni, the big back end for that team. Esther and Melanie Barbazat are there in the front end position. So it is the team that you expect. They walked off a plane after landing back in Switzerland, went right to the club and won the Swiss national championship. Scott, it's uh, just that easy for them. Apparently Uh, they don't need any rest. I I think they, they did lose a game early in the event uh, or there was another team that was playing really well. And we thought, oh, oh, maybe. Uh, and and then they were like, no. And they, they do a two out of three final, and they beat them down like uh, both games. Mm-hmm. I don't think they even finished uh, finished eight ends the each of them. So, yeah, they they're, good. <laughs> they're very very good team. Yeah. So again, you'd expect them and Sweden and Canada, I think, to be the top three in most people's brackets. If you're filling one out for this week and uh yeah we certainly saw how good they are over the past couple of years they are of course the defending champions in this event uh, let's move on to turkey represented by dilsat yildiz sky the turkish side here uh, we've seen this rise of turkish women's curling and i know jonathan has talked about dilsat herself that she can play that that she is a great shot maker. She knows the game, good strategy. The issue is filling out that team uh, to the point where they can be competitive in the four person game. And and really where Turkey might have its first breakthrough is in the mixed doubles because you have Dilsat as such a strong player. But when you have such a strong player at this type of an event where you might not be looking at Turkey as a team to really pay attention to. And yeah, the team itself might not be strong enough to contend over the course of the week, but it doesn't mean that Dilsat herself can not have a game that just knocks somebody off that, that she just plays. She's already really good. that she just plays out of her mind one day and kind of single-handedly wins a game. And I, I think that's what we might be looking for, for this team for this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And it's great to see them have having like fought their way up. 
to qualify based on uh, based on Euros. So um, I'm, I'm excited to watch them, honestly, and uh, yeah. just see how the development moves forward. Uh, Sean, before we move on, I want I need to issue a correction to myself. Okay, that uh, the Swiss final actually did go three games. Uh, the two that Tiran's only won, she did win in nine ends both times, but uh, they did lose that middle game five to three. Okay. Uh, to hold on uh, to Rafaela Kaiser. So my apologies. Uh, bad job by me. Hey, it happens, you know, it happens. It happens, but uh, we got to be better than that. So that's why I'm <laughs> issuing that emergency correction. All right. Good job by you. All right. Uh, next up, the Americans, represented by Corey Christensen, Sarah Anderson, Victoria Persinger, and Taylor Anderson. Of course, the Nina Roth team that was at the Olympics is not going, nor is John Schuster. Uh, those were officially officialized earlier this month. So we're seeing Corey Christensen at the World Championship. It's always interesting for the Americans at Worlds uh, and the Olympics, frankly, because I'm never entirely sure what to expect. So what do you think for Corey Christensen this week, Scott? I think they have a good chance uh, to make the playoffs. Uh, this this team was was Jamie Sinclair's team, right? Um, I think so. Or I guess the Anderson sisters played uh, p- played with Jamie. So yeah, this team has been positioned. They're, they are the, the next best team in American women's curling. Uh, so I, I think they have a good shot to make the playoffs. Uh, they should be around that maybe seven and... How many games do they play now? 12, seven and five, six and six, seven and five area, uh, knocking on the door of the playoffs. Yeah. And, uh, should know like first Vicky Persinger was the spare back in 2018, 19 at the world championship. So she was part of that. And the Anderson sisters, as you say, with Jamie Sinclair, uh, Monica Walker was on that team. And then there was a year of Sinclair, Christensen, uh, Persinger, Taylor Anderson with Sarah Anderson, as the fifth. So, and, and they were the runners up in the uh, American nationals. Then, and then there was the switch uh, okay. in 2020, 2021. So yeah, they've all played with Jamie Sinclair at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Then let's wrap up the field for the women's world championship. The Czech Republic represented by Alzbeta Bodisova. So it's not Kubiskova, who we've seen before representing the Czech Republic, uh, so a new name coming into the field. Petra Vinsova, Michaela Bodisova, and Clara Svatinova are the other reps on this team. I don't know, Scott. Uh, I, I'm not super high on Czech curling, uh, just sort of in terms of the results where they've been. Of course, you still got to qualify for this, which they've done. So they're here. And they well, Sean, do you, do you want to talk about why they qualified or how they qualified? I guess, do we have to? <laughs> no, we don't. But uh, <laughs> they're, they're here in place of Russia. Yes, they are. That's all we can say. That, that's, that's what fine. we can say, yes. Uh, Russia was uh, asked not to participate or they were banned from... The World Curling Federation events, I'm guessing this will lead to some sort of legal something, something uh, mm-hmm. at some point. But it's, yeah, it's not, it's not what you want. Yeah. So, so then the Czechs were the next team on the list. Uh, they just failed to qualify 
at the Euros in December, uh, finishing one spot outside of the field. So uh, they got bumped up. I well, no, I right, think we John, should this is... hold on. I think we have to c- clarify that because yeah. uh, Madeline Dupont got the spot in the World Qualification Event. Botasova went two and seven uh, and lost to Madeline Dupont. So they were relegated to the B division. So they will be in Euro Bs next year, despite being here at the World Championship. And then at the World Qualification event, they went and they went 0 and 6. So uh, so it's not it's not because of the world qualification event, it's because of the Euros, clearly. Um, yeah. That they could have said, right? Yeah, but they could have invited Latvia. They were the last team out at the world qualification event. Yeah, I guess so. Right? So but, uh, because, they, they, I, they're choosing Euros over the world qualification event. Well, because that's the event from which uh, the Russian team qualified to get in. So Right. So that's the spot that they're taking. Yeah. Okay. Well, if I'm Latvia, I'm like, come on, man. Come on, man. What, <laughs> what else do I got to do over here? Uh, yeah, but... Obviously, uh, sort of the, the circumstances of, of Russia not participating has allowed the Czech Republic to enter the event. And as we said a couple of weeks ago, uh, there's not really anything we can add to the situation, to the, the real world situation of what's happening in Ukraine. But the curling ramifications are such that Russia is not there and the Czech Republic is in. And if the Czech Republic win a game, great. Yeah, I, I almost thought they would keep it at 12, to be honest, but uh, they're going and yeah. Probably just screws would. up the schedule too much to have them at 12. Yeah, it would. You're right. So uh, yeah, if they win a game, uh, good on. So there you have it. The 13 teams that are either en route or already in Prince George, British Columbia for the 2022 Women's World Championship. Scott, who you got? Oh boy. So uh, before we, we make these picks, Sean, I'll run down uh, our, our scores right now. Okay. Uh, I've included the Briar and Paralympics results. Okay. Uh, you're beating me 36 points to 30 points on the year. Okay. Good job by me. And where you're really beating me is on the women's side. You've, you've gained four points on me there. Only wow. two on the men's side. So I got to really focus here. And I, I can't not take the top three because yeah. I got to score points, Sean. I got to win. Uh, so in any order that you like, whatever, Canada, Switzerland, and Sweden. Uh, I'm also going to take Italy. Uh, I'm going to take Germany, and I'm going to take USA for those right. other spots. And give me uh, give me Anna Hasselberg to get her gold medal world championship. And that'll be great. All right. Uh, I'm also going to take the top three. Uh, I think, obviously, uh, I'll take Germany, Korea, and Scotland uh, to round out my field. And I'm going to go with Kerry Anderson to get a world championship and uh, maybe calm some folks in Canada. Okay. All right, so there you have it, our full quick rundown of the 2022 Women's World Field, as well as a recap of some of the other stuff going on. But Scott, before we go, I would be remiss if I didn't mention 
the officially officialization of some team breakups. Uh, team Cooey announced uh, today as we record that they are going their separate ways. Uh, and in other news, uh, you know, dairy milk comes from cows. And uh, what else? Uh, Brad Jacobs has announced that he is going to take at least a year away. Again, that's not surprising. He really laid the foundation for that at the Olympic curling trials. Jennifer Jones, their team is going their separate way. Uh, Caitlin Laws in the interview with Ted Wyman mentioned that she's still considering what she wants to do. That's a little surprising to me. Just it wasn't, I read that in the sense of whether or not she wants to play next year, as opposed to who she wants to play with. Uh, but I probably going to be wrong and I'm, I'm sure she will play. Uh, Jennifer Jones has options cause she now lives in Ontario, uh, but did in that same article note that it'd be weird not to play out of Manitoba. Uh, if you're Jennifer Jones, another Manitoba team is off mm-hmm. the table. Tracy flurry, her team has announced that they're breaking up and Liz Fife put on Instagram that the three of them, that the three front players who joined in with Tracy flurry, of course, formerly Carrie Anderson's team, that they are broken up as well. So, uh, so certainly see where all the chips land there could involve Caitlin laws if we're being honest. And, uh, I think that's it for the ones since we last talked, Scott. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm trying to think if there's any more, uh, the only one that's kind of surprising is, is maybe Tracy flurry, but, uh, they, they put themselves together to go for, go for it in this quad so but they seem they came so close like i think that's what was surprising to me that they came so close and if you look around at the situation like i I realize the point of team shuffles is to put yourself in better positions and obviously the the status quo doesn't really happen anymore right gushu that team staying together and that's the exception to the rule no question about it but I, I, that was a team that I kind of looked at and thought, maybe, like maybe yeah. like they're ascending and it didn't feel to me like they had peaked. So I thought that was one that had a chance to stay together. Not shocked that they are breaking up, but I, I, I look at, and I, if I'm Tracy Fleury, I think it's going to be hard to get better as a, mm-hmm. like with, with who you surround yourself. I mean, Unless it's unless Tracy Fleury is picking up Caitlin Laws and the Selena Negevin is really really good, but again I I'm of the position that Caitlin Laws is the best all around player in the world. So yeah, if you can get Caitlin Laws, sure. But right. just on a me the, the my immediate reaction to it was for Tracy Fleury, it's going to be tough for her to get better to get better teammates than those three. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So. There you have it. The shuffle has already started. Nothing nothing real groundbreaking in terms of new team announcements yet. There's been a few here and there, uh, some teams shuffling lineups here and there. Like So some things are happening, uh, but the big news uh, has yet to come. And I'm sure more and more team announcements of people breaking up will continue to trickle out over the next few weeks. Yeah, and uh, the, the team tracker is back yeah. at, uh, at Curling Geek. So if you want to go take a look there you'll uh you'll be able to see okay what new teams have formed what uh teams are splitsville uh all that kind of good stuff 
Yeah, he made a comment on Twitter today that he should have sprung for the uh, unlimited package for the team tracker. I guess it's uh, <laughs> but a mix of traffic and and the amount of stuff he has to put up is uh, it's hard to uh, get cumbersome <laughs> for on the team tracker. Yes, and there's also a free agents tab now, so uh, yeah, that's pretty that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I like too that he has the international. You can sort by international men's and women's teams. It's it's pretty cool. It's it's. Uh, continues to be upgraded the team tracker every year yeah yeah it's a good visualization absolutely so i uh, certainly check that out scott anything else from the world of curling that stands out to you here on a wednesday afternoon uh nothing that i can think of just uh, getting excited now for uh, the weekend and the world women starting should be a lot of fun all right, well, there's one thing I need to know, Scott, from the world of curling. I have intentionally not looked at uh, results from the Ottawa Curling Club, where 18 months after you suggested the Monday team go to a skip till you lose scenario in which if it, the team loses, we rotate positions. And you suggested this in part so that you could skip. It finally, I finally relinquished the baton That's and, right. ha- and handed it to you. And you have skipped at least one game, potentially two. Scott, how's it gone? Uh, Sean, you'll be slotting in at the uh, third position next week. <laughs> As uh, oh my goodness, we we when I skipped, <laughs> I I played maybe the worst game of my life, and I it's it's really hard. For me, uh, you know, what's really impressive about Brad Igushu is that when he only had one sweeper, he didn't change anything. And when I only had one sweeper, I think in the back of my mind, I thought, well, you know, I better give this like a little bit extra uh, (laughs) because Megan's sweeping by herself. Right. And I think I threw almost all my draws through. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't throw it uh, slow enough the game that we played and so we didn't we didn't score a point so that's wow. two in a row yeah because the last game i was skipping we also got skunk so we went two games in a row without scoring a point and two games in a row without scoring a point and then this week uh we were back to the uh the the, the usual skip being, yeah. being the skip and uh we scored one point this week so oh my uh, goodness yeah yeah so in three games, we scored one point. That's correct. Oh, man. And had, we had one default in there, too. <laughs> right. So it's uh, things have taken a turn. We were on, su- <laughs> on I such skip, a high. I skip. We have a six-game winning streak. And then, okay, I, I lose, finally. And uh, really just went off a cliff, didn't it? Really did. But you know what, Sean? We'll be down in the D division. We're playing for bar bucks. We got to win D. Yeah. Get this is what happened. Bucks. Yeah, this is what happened in at the end of 2019. You got into the D, and the way it works is the the team that finishes first in that last draw, that last five game draw, you get bar bucks. And we did that in 2019. And uh, now that we're going back down after moving up, that'll be good. Hopefully, we can get on a similar run and, and get those bar bucks. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the goal. Yeah. Well, uh, I. <laughs> Stunned. Stunned, Stunned. Scott, to hear this. Uh, Good. Well, if you're out there playing, do better than us, and you can start by hitting subscribe. Although, 
based on those results, I don't know what, what, what <laughs> value we, we have. Like, what value do we have? What, what's our analysis worth? Uh, I, I think it's worth maybe something. And only half of us were involved in those games. So That's right. uh, I was absent from them. I can take, and I'll tell you, on my other team, I was gone, also lost. So, you know, the, if you're looking for an ego boost, uh, you know, leave <laughs> and have your team lose, I guess. Uh, but do subscribe if you have not yet. Uh, wherever it is you get your podcast, the likes, ratings, comments, all that good stuff helps us grow the show, helps other people find us. And especially if you're new, you found us during the Olympic Games. Thank you for listening. Uh, this is what we do during the season, this kind of stuff. In the off season, we have some uh, some more evergreen content. So uh, certainly do follow along uh, here on the podcast feed or on social media where you can find us at Game of Stones Pod on Twitter and Instagram, Game of Stones Podcast on Facebook and do head on over gameofstonespod.com. All of our past episodes are available there. Plus a link to the merch with all proceeds from the t-shirts going to Food Banks Canada and all the other products. The proceeds are for the Sandra Schmirler Foundation. We match all of the proceeds from that. With the summer coming up, who knows? Maybe we'll change some stuff out because right now there's the toque, there's the hoodie. Maybe we'll change it to maybe some warm weather stuff. Who knows? Uh, but we'll certainly update you if we do. And as always, you can let us know what you want to hear on the show at Game of Stones podcast at gmail.com. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Scott, how long did it take you to recover from your shellacking when you're did, did, like, did you put so much pressure on yourself that going into the game, you had expectations for yourself and then afterwards you were just took you a while to to get your mind right after that uh well sean we we haven't been staying uh for drinks but i definitely needed a drink uh, <laughs> after that one i uh stayed afterwards we we talked with the team uh so that was fine it was okay i got over it pretty quick but uh good. definitely needed to uh you know, cash in on my drink after that one. Yeah. Well, it's something I, I, I've, I've been gone for a couple of weeks and actually the week before I was gone, we had two defaults uh, in the week in the game. I was supposed to the games. I was supposed to play one on Monday. We defaulted to the other team. And on the Thursday league, the other team defaulted to us. Now, both times I went to the Ottawa mm-hmm. curling club and threw some stones, but I haven't played a game now in, in three weeks. Cause I have a bye tomorrow night as well. So it'll be three weeks since my last game, four weeks really since my last game, three weeks off. And I I was saying on on the flight back, I was like, oh, I I hope they win uh, at least one of the games, preferably both games. And I can come back into the front end, preferably lead, ease my way back into it. But uh, no, that's uh, apparently not not what's happening. No, you're into the fire, bud. All right, we'll we'll see how that goes and uh, see how the Women's Worlds goes. We'll be back with you next week to update all the goings-ons from British Columbia and some other stuff in the world of curling as team roster announcements start to trickle out, maybe some other fun stuff as well. So do join us for that next week. But until then, thanks for listening and keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final...